I promise you I'm coming back home to the word again. Um, just trust me on that. And so let's do Colossians 3. And this is verses uh, uh, 5 through 14. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, or dearly loved, clothe yourself, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I was kind of drawn to this passage because of the whole, there's no uh, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised. Because it seems, it's one of these statements along with Galatians 3, which is very similar, to kind of level things out. And it, it kind of sets the tone for how the Bible approaches these differences among us as human beings. One thing I want to point out before I, before I move on too much is that when it talks about there's neither Gentile or Jew or slave or free or any of these things, is Paul is not erasing differences. He hasn't lost his mind. He, doesn't, he hasn't forgotten that when he is, and the Lord didn't forget when he inspired him to write this, that uh, somehow he didn't think that somehow the Jews and Gentiles, you know, just poof, become the same in, in uh, when they walk into church or when they become Christians. There are still differences. There are still cultural differences, differences of background. Uh, in Galatians 3, there's neither male nor female. Paul did not lose sight of the fact that men and women are different. What it is talking about is it doesn't, er Paul's not erasing the differences. He's erasing how we treat people based on those differences. And that's kind of where my heart is on this and where it's personal for me and where all of us have a lot of work to do, but especially the church. And while there would be points of this where it's going to be a little bit heavy, uh, I want you to receive this as a message of encouragement and hope. Now, why is this personal? Uh, can we put up the first picture? Uh, it's not just that my wife is Jamaican or that my son is mixed. Uh, as much as I, I dearly love them. But as I've gone through the journey of the last 20 years, has really shaped my perspective on the issue uh, of race, of uh, wealth and poverty and all these other, all these other things. Um, now, before I begin into that, w when you go to seminary, as I did in preaching class, they tell you, because we're, we all have a tendency to be smarty pants, and, and they tell us, don't be the hero of your own stories. 
duly noted. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. And in this story, there are no heroes and there are no villains. It's just a journey. And you may find yourself in it uh, at different points. I grew up, in, I was born and raised in the South. I grew up in East Tennessee. It's the home of these folks right here. If you listen to the theme song at the beginning, they're from where I grew up. And her. Uh, Dollywood is in the county where I, I, I grew up, and I, my first job was not too far from Dollywood. Um, in fact, every year she gave every graduating Seymour in my, uh, a senior in my county uh, $500 for college until my year. Now, growing in the South in a, in a working class area, it was very homogenous, very white. Uh, two to three people out of in my high school were people of color out of 750. We were middle class, working class. My parents didn't have a lot. Uh, people in my area didn't have a lot. Uh, very country. I had chickens, if that gives you any hint. Uh, I had goats and geese. We had barbed wire fence, not a chain link fence around our house to keep the horse out or in, whichever way. Um, we had to work hard, and we valued hard work. That's what I was taught. Be resourceful. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Be a person of integrity. Law and order. Follow the law. Respect those in authority. You know, God and country. And those are all great things. But when it came to people who are not like us, how it got filtered is, it was a lot different. Now, I, now how I was raised, my dad is just old enough to remember whites only water fountains in, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina growing up. My mom was a Navy brat, so she grew up in a very diverse um, circumstances with, with the military. And I was always raised to treat everyone equally, to love everyone, be colorblind. That was okay as far as it went. Was, there are far worse alternatives. But what I would eventually come to learn is that's not enough. Um, because in my color blindness, so to speak, I would see these good uh, black people, Hispanic people, Indian people over here. And I would see these bad black people, Indian people, Native American people, whatever, Hispanics over there. What I have come to realize is that my def definition between good and bad and the ones I liked and didn't like had more to do with did they look and act like me and did these other people not look and act like me. In spite of the fact that I was ex in my head consciously not racist, I would never do such a thing. How is living out was racialized in that sense. It was, it was tilted against people of color. And what I've come to learn in these last 20 or so years is that there are two Americas. And that's what we're gonna, I'm going to call my sermon, Two Americas. And I'm going to help you see the second America. Now, before I get started, as soon as uh, 
like with me and, and all the, most of the people, I know, as soon as you start talking about race around white people, everyone goes, whoa, I don't know, I want to, uh, yeah. no, 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 I'm okay, no, because we know how the story ends. You're about ready to get beat up. It does not end well for you. And I want you to relax for a second and be willing to step out of yourself and get just a little uncomfortable. And do your best with your imagination to put yourself in the shoes of another person who's not like you. And for my part, I'll do my level best not to come and sucker punch you. Verbally, anyway. I am, I am not out to get you because I'm as much like you as anyone else. <laughs> and I am guilty of the same things. And I do the same things. And I think many of the same ways. And I want to share, share with you both my journey and, and, um, and God's perspective on this. So sit tight. Um, it would be easy to talk about controversial police interactions, you know, Trayvon Martin and all these other people. You know, this person got shot and that person didn't, and et cetera, et cetera. Black lives matter, blue lives matter. But most of us don't live in high crime neighborhoods, and most of us have very few police interactions. So I'm not going to talk about that. I could talk about poverty and systemic issues that 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 keep people of color of various kinds down into the lower classes in in jobs that where they can barely make a way barely make a living if if at all but most of us don't live anywhere near really high poverty neighborhoods it's not our experience so i'm going to talk about how the two americas exist where we live in the streets that we walk down the stores we go to the offices where we work the schools that our kids go to or for those kids who are here the schools that you attend I want to talk about how the two Americas are, exist there. And because they exist in the same place, they're that much harder to see. But it's there. The first America is the one you know, most of us. Not a, it's where you're treated fairly, you go to school, you expect to get your teachers to believe in you or to believe in your kids if you're sending kids. You expect your employer to hire you based on qualifications, whether you are better than the next person, more qualified, you expect to be hired, and you expect to work and be promoted and, and reviewed based on your merit because whether you've done a good job or, or penalized because you, uh, you weren't so good at it. Uh, it's the world that you know, I'm not going to belabor it, but the second America, I want you to take a take a, a moment to imagine what it's like to live in this America. Your expectations and your needs are the same as, as those who live in the first America. But in the second America, you don't exist. You walk down the street and you say, hi, how are you doing? And people walk past like, you don't, like you're not there. They don't even acknowledge that you're there. Or in a store, you go, try to get help from a clerk or employee. You don't exist. You apply to a job. And go on to the next one. 
but you don't get jobs because of your name. University of Chicago, 2004, so we're still kind of relatively not too far in the past. 5,000 resumes were sent to 1,300 jobs. Identical resumes for each job except the names. Identical in every respect except the names. If you were Emily or Greg, you were 50% more likely to get a callback um, than Leticia or Jamal. You got a black name? Too bad. You don't get the jobs just because of your name. They never even see you. They just see your name and you get screened out. Uh, next one, please. You're routinely passed over in favor of less qualified workers. You have to be more qualified, work longer, do better to get the same promotion, if ever. This happens uh, to, happened to the Ohio UPS workers uh, in whatever their plant is uh, further in state. Also, an IT worker in the South. Um, and so not only do you not get promoted, they don't see you as someone that could be in charge. They just assume that you're not. Next one, please. People automatically assume that you're the janitor or something like that. Uh, lady was a got an Ivy League PhD, Columbia University. Got her dream job as a professor. She'd go into work early. People assume she's the cleaning lady. A guy becomes a U.S. Circuit Court judge. That's one step below the Supreme Court. Lifetime, uh, amazing achievement for anybody. He goes to his investiture at a fancy hotel wearing a tuxedo, and as he walks into the hotel, somebody pulls up and tosses him the keys. Thinks he's the valet. How would you feel? You're the lead trainer of a major program. You wrote the curriculum. Ex top executives look to you for your expertise. You train the, all the other trainers, and you go to teach the class. But because you're, you're nice and you're humble, you, you, know, you help set things up, you're dressed professionally, and everyone assumes you're support staff, and they're shocked when you get up to teach because of how you look. It's crazy. In schools, your white teachers, uh, go to the next one. Your teachers don't believe in your kids. White teachers, 16,000 teachers were surveyed. White teachers were less likely than black teachers to believe your kids will succeed in the second America. White and black teachers had the same level of confidence in white kids. Same. Stores, you're followed around like you're, like you're a thief or you are ignored in line when you're in front in favor of the person behind you, or you're told to stand aside. This happens in airports a lot, apparently, uh, but also in stores. I, w I, I wish I could say that I'm making this stuff up, but it happens all the time. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how educated you are. This happens day in and day out all the time. Happens to Caroline all the time, to my wife all the time. You know how, you know, how scary she is. <laughs> but she gets ignored, or people think she's, uh, she's not in charge. 
happens all the time. Now, I think you're, you're, you're waiting for me to kind of come in and drop the, drop the hammer on you right now, turn you into a villain. Not at all. See, the, th- the problem is the people who are doing all these things don't really realize that they're doing it most of the time. They're not neo-Nazis or Klansmen. I'd be willing to bet a good amount of money that 99.9% of these people are people who would, who would truthfully say from the bottom of their heart that they don't believe in racism and should treat everybody equally. They're nice people. They're respectable people. They're people just like us. And just like the coworkers you know and, and other students, parents, and all the other people you meet. Yet, this stuff keeps happening. And why does it happen? Is it because we're villains and we're awful? And because you're just dirty racist men? No. It's because we all have unconscious biases. Our default is to see people of color as not in charge. Our default is to see the white male as a manager. Our default is to see young black men walking down the street, especially wearing a hoodie or baggy pants and their underwear showing, as threatening. And it's not just white people. It's me. Well, I'm white too, but it, even married to who I'm married to and having the son that I have, I find myself doing the same kinds of things. Earlier this summer, I was talking to someone on the phone. I wasn't getting the kind of answers in the service at a plumbing place that I thought I was supposed to get. And when I realized as, as it was happening that one of the things that was factoring into my reaction was that the person had a black voice. Me. It happens to me. It happens to people of color. It happens to diversity, equity, and inclusion trainers. The people who are supposed to know better. Because we all breathe the same cultural air. We see the same images, hear the same stereotypes, and we breathe it all in, and that's what becomes our default. And it's what, and it, and it often goes against our own ex- be- conscious beliefs. What we would s- truthfully say is our own beliefs. So what do we do? This is supposed to be the Christian response to the climate of racism, to the climate, to this second America. How do we deal with the fact that there are two Americas where the people in the second America get treated like crud? I would like to offer you a third way. In the world, we tend to divide into camps, Republican and Democrats, liberal and conservative, and and. It's funny how both seem to have adopted the same program of, of, of uh, scorched earth warfare. But we in the church are not to be like that. We, as the church, as the body of Christ, armed with the word of God, have, have the power and have the ability to bridge the divides but we've got to escape our own cultural problems to be the church and do that. So how should we respond? The first thing is do no harm. Hippocratic Oath. Before the doctor begins healing a patient, you've got to stop hurting the patient or not hurt the patient to begin with. And we Christians, we as a church, need to do no harm. What do I mean by that? Let's go to Colossians 3 for a second. Uh, 3.8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips the problem is what happens to nice people in private conversations 
is we give ourselves permission to be exactly those kinds of people. We get online in semi-anonymity. We give ourselves permission to say the awfulest, nastiest things that you can imagine. Um, and I wish I could say that it was an aberration, but it's the norm. And if I didn't have to look any further, the, I don't have, how many of you have heard about the Border Patrol thing, the Facebook? A couple of you. Okay, what happened is the Border uh, current and former Border Patrol agents have a secret, fa well, it used to be secret, secret Facebook group. 9,500 members, you invitation only. Someone had to be inside the group and invite you in. Nobody's looking. They talked about migrants like they're not human. The father and daughter who, uh, 20 and a 23-month-old daughter who drowned in the river trying to cross, um, instead of having compassion on them and seeing their humanity and weeping with them, instead the guy became just a floater. A human being for whom Christ died, a floater. A toddler, a floater. It was, and they were questioning why, whether that was even real. Uh, because they'd never seen a floater be so clean. Whew. That's not the Christian word. Our words are to be words of healing, of hope. Let's not give ourselves permission to be critical, but instead to build up and, and to bridge divides. Get, if, if, you find this, if you find yourself in this, it's not me preaching to you because as far as I know, all of you are wonderful. I've never had a bad interaction here. You're all you know, little halos over your head, everything. But if you find yourself in this, if you think I'm preaching to you, it's probably the Holy Spirit going on your shoulder. Not me. This is the Holy Spirit. The next thing we need to do is show compassion. Uh, let's go into the scripture. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, so because the playing field has been leveled, how should we act? Therefore, pay attention to those therefores, very important. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness. This is the opposite of what happens outside of the church, outside of um, when, we, when we're not being driven by Christ. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, if any of you has a grievance and against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Compassion, show compassion. In order to have compassion, you have to have empathy. Now, speaking for myself, I'm not very good at it. I have no natural empathy. I'm terrible. That's Caroline's department. For me, empathy is a learned skill. I had to figure out how to do it. I mostly figure out how to do it by putting myself in somebody else's shoes and imagining what it would like if it happened to me. And if most of what ha this stuff happened happened to me, I'd be angry and I'd be scared and I'd be frustrated and I'd be ready to throw something, throw something at someone. And one of the things that really taught me compassion is, okay, so m my, my wife is Jamaican, my in-laws are Jamaican, and they live in Baltimore. I was going to a conference in Baltimore, so I stayed at Hotel Smith, free room and board. Gotta love it. I, I'm the son-in-law, uh, you know, so I have a key. I, I let myself in after 
day at the conference, and I go in, and after a while, I hear a knock at the door. I come to the door, and I open up the door, and there are two Baltimore City police officers. They said, we have a report that there was a suspicious person entering this house. It took me a second to realize that the suspicious person was me. And I had to prove to them that I belonged. Thankfully, they, they let me off the hook pretty easy. But uh, at the time, my in-laws were, were uh, working downstairs in the basement. I'd hate to imagine what would have happened if I told them, oh, yeah, the owners are in the basement. <laughs> oh, boy. I was racially profiled. The reason why they were called is I was a white man going to a, a black family's house in a black neighborhood. And I can tell you when I realized that the suspicious person was me, I was scared. I hadn't done anything wrong, but I was scared. And it made me feel compassion for all those people who have police interactions a lot more than me. When you're an African-American especially, especially an African-American male, you have a lot of police interactions. Um, someone I knew who worked, who worked with inner city youth, who is the youth pastor, has been put across the hood of a police car many times. It taught me compassion. Um, so how do we show compassion? There are a lot of ways we can show compassion. Um, here's some like really basic ones. Check your assumptions. Um, that's where we tend to get caught. Um, so don't assume that you know who the manager is and who the employee is. Ask. Don't dismiss someone out of hand. Ask yourself why you're dismissing them. Is that person really threatening or are, they just, are these just assumptions because of their tattoos, their baggy pants, and their hoodie? Do you have a, and on the positive side, do you have a reason to believe that a certain person is good at math? Or are you just assuming that because of their race? We have positive stereotypes that, dri that drive the people who are stereotyped crazy. Also, can I touch your hair? It's so beautiful. Yes. Would you want someone touching your hair? Some random person in public? But people do that to all, all the time with people with curly hair. I wonder what Caleb's going to do when that, when that happens. Uh, uh, a I'm gonna, and on this point, a professor of mine once gave, us, gave a quote in, in counseling. He made us memorize it. He said it was gonna, he put it on the final. That's how important it was to him. And, and all these years later, I still remember it. He said, be kind to everyone you meet they are going through a great battle. That person who you're kind of like, yeah, you're a sketch. I don't know about you. For whatever reason, that person who's different from you kind of puts you off or too loud, too annoying, too whatever. They're going through a great battle. That was in the last couple of weeks. That was never better illustrated for me than in the last couple of weeks when I ran into some people, a couple that I thought had it all together making good money, They're, they are accomplished professionals, they, uh, these are the people who are looked to for advice by other people, and they are at their wits end. I had no idea how much they were going through. It was, their life was a disaster right now. 
and they don't know what they're going to do, and they're just hanging on by their fingernails. Um, with a friend of mine, we used to do like this whenever we would describe how we were feeling. We're hanging on by our fingernails. They're hanging on by their fingernails. We are all going through a great battle. I bet you are going through a great battle. Your battles are different, but you're going through something. The last step is love. Lead with love. You may have heard that. I totally stole it from last week. Uh, I know that Stephen and Josh use it a lot. And guess what? It's great stuff from our um, beg, borrow, or steal. That's the philosophy here. Um, go on to Colossians. And how does Paul end this little section? And over all these virtues, put on love. Over all these virtues. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. It took me years to realize how important love was to the Christian walk. How it had a primary place. How do we show love? First step, see people as people. Don't dehumanize them. Don't caricature them. Don't turn them into something, uh, into put them in a box because that's how you convenient, it's convenient for you. See them as a person, someone that God loves for whom he died. The second thing is have your ears open. Listen to them. Not, not waiting your turn to speak, but actually listening to what they have to say. Go deeper than the weather and how well the Bengals are doing and how the, the Reds are doing. You already know how they're doing. They're not doing great. Uh, find out their experiences. Find out the things that they have gone through. You will be surprised. I was surprised this week when I was talking to some different people. Um, I... I talked to an African-American minister that I'm close to, and I asked him this question. What would you want my congregation to know? And after kind of talking about it a little bit and thinking it through, he kind of came down to this. The differences between us are not as great as they seem. We are all human. We're human. They hurt Whoever the they is that are not like us, they hurt. They have fears. But we as Christians, when we show love, we can, over, we can begin to heal the hurts and overcome the fears and bring peace and, and build bridges between that across chasms that have not been able to be closed for four centuries in America. The church is the hope of the world and the hope of America. God has given us his love, his compassion, his kindness to heal the wounds. Let us be the ones who break the cycle that has, that has kept the second America, the second class America, alive and well for so long. We can be the ones who break that through love and compassion. And so, let's bring up the next picture. This is why, this is why this is so personal for me, among other reasons. I'm a white guy raising a young black man. Because if we get separated and you don't see us for years and you see him coming down the street, you're not going to see my son. You're going to see him. Or him. you're going to see a young black man. How are we going to 
respond? How are people who aren't Christians going to respond? It's close to my heart. When you see 18-year-old Caleb, will you see this guy? Next one. Regardless of how he's dressed, will you see the thug with tattoos and guns in his hand? Are you going to see the gangbanger? Are you going to be afraid of him as if he was that? Or are you going to react to him? No, next. Or are you going to react to him like the Harvard graduate? Future uh, lead engineer for Toyota or Ford or Boeing. Are you going to see the second black president? Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is the only one who can really get into our hearts and change our defaults so that we can be the third way that stands outside of the world's responses to, uh, to the racial divide, that stands outside the world's responses to prejudice. We can be an agent of change and break the cycle of racism to make sure that there isn't two Americas. And the last thing I want to say is while I've really targeted this at race, it can really be about anyone who's different. The issues between uh, gender inequality, race, you name it. Anyone who's different. I'm as much in this, and I'm as, uh, uh, I'm as much, I have all the same issues as any of you. The question is, what are we the church, and what are we as individual Christians going to do about it? So let's, the first thing, the most important thing to do is pray. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we honor you, Lord. We thank you that you loved us, loved everyone so much that you died for us. Oh, Lord, expose whatever may be in our hearts that is not like you. Change us and transform us. Help us to be what you have called us to be, to be clothed with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility. Help us to put on love and to show love to everyone and to begin to heal the, the deep and lasting wounds of our country, to bridge the divide between uh, white and black and South Asian and Native American and, and East Asian and all the various uh, races and ethnicities that, that occupy our wonderful land, Lord, that we be made one America under you, truly one nation under God. But only you can do that work in our hearts. And only you can give us the power to bridge those divides. Lord, I pray that you help us to do that, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Now let's stand and, and end this.